Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Curious Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Plotsky. Uh, this is episode six, and today will be joining us uh, my college pitching coach for a brief time, Ryan Christensen. I'll, uh, yeah, he'll be joining us, and I'll uh, give, him a, um, give him some time to introduce himself. Ryan Christensen, um, NPA, was it National Pitching Association uh, certified coach, uh, pitching coach at UW Stout, um, my pitching coach for two and a half months, something like that. Um, yeah, about that, yeah. Yeah, something like that, close. Um, so yeah, yeah. February 2, May. Yeah, um, if you want to give like a brief introduction of yourself, I'll give you whatever time you want to do. I don't I don't know. I'm not like good at summarizing what people do because I feel like it doesn't do anybody justice. So if you want to like give a brief intro, like yeah. Um, so yeah, Ryan Christensen. I uh, currently pitching coach at UW Stout. I started in February of 2019, and that's where um, I met Aaron and was his pitching coach to the end of May. I also am a member of National Pitching, um, also under the umbrella of what's called Tom House Sports. And um, actually, I'm involved with national pitching, national football, with some quarterback training, and um, we have some other programs coming out with feeding and stuff like that underneath that umbrella. Um, but like I said, with national pitching, um, the focus and stuff formerly known as National Pitching Association, basically, we're, um, our focus is on science-based um, instruction and methodologies, anywhere from testing um, our athletes head to toe assessment and then individualizing instruction from there towards their individual needs. Um, so yeah. And, uh, previously before I was at Stout, I spent 10 years, um, as assistant coach in Ellsworth, Wisconsin, underneath Hall of Fame coach, Steve Block, who was also my college baseball coach at university of Wisconsin, Rural Falls before they dropped the program. And then after those 10 years as his, his assistant coach and his pitching coach on the varsity level, I was a head baseball coach. Fortunate to have some good teams. We went to his assistant coach, went to state tournament in 2012 and finished second in Division II in Wisconsin. We went right back in 13 and lost in the semifinals. And I was fortunate enough in 2018, the season before I joined the UW coaching staff, UW style coaching staff, um, as a head coach, um, Ellsworth went down the state again and we lost in a close one to the eventual state champions in the state tournament um, in the semifinal game. So I've been very fortunate to be around a lot of great baseball minds and um, really over the years and, you know, since I've known Aaron now for about 14, 15 months here, we always had great uh, baseball conversations. So I appreciate him inviting me on and having this conversation. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's really good having you on. And, uh, you know, today's episode is uh, something that's, I don't want to say near and dear to my heart because that's kind of cliche, but it's something that means a lot to me because, um, which is kind of youth like youth baseball development and a little bit like going into load management and trying to juggle like multiple sports and things like that. Because when I grew up, um, for those of you that don't know, I currently have a nice scar on my elbow, uh, due to constant years of abuse and overwork and with the potential, uh, with a very high chance of requiring more surgery in the future. So, um, because of all that overuse and abuse and overwork and because of kind of the ancient pitching methodology of, oh, well, you know, Nolan Ryan used to throw 300 innings, so these kids should be able to throw. Like, at 14 years old, I should not have been throwing 175 innings in a summer. That's just, and catching the other half of games I wasn't throwing. Like, there's no, there's no need for that. It is, it's really terrible. And so it's, it's dear to me because with the rise of Tommy John surgery, which is now leveled out in the last couple years and just, 
with all these other factors, and now we're understanding more of the science behind injury and behind load management and things like that, I think it's really important, especially for the small following that I do have on this podcast. It's a lot of, I mean, a lot of it's adults who have who have kids or grandkids or whatever. So I think it's really important just for the general population and also people who um, know others that are going to have kids, like to know this because it's it's a problem. It still is. It's getting better. Um, I I mean. I, there's still abuse. Uh, I definitely still hear stories of it, but I think across the board it is getting better because I think coaches are getting a little bit more educated. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess the first question I really had for you, um, so how do you, like, before, like, when you, like, when a child comes into your program or, like, a kid comes into your program, like, what, like, what do you do before they even throw a baseball? Like, is, like, what is your assessment process for them? Well, um, when I talk about individual academy and stuff, like what do I do for precision pitching and stuff um, when I work with youth, the first thing we try to do is assess them. Um, age pending, though. Um, typically, if the kid's 13 or up, we do what's called a stat test. So we're going to screen, screen, train, assess, and then train again. So basically, what we're trying to do is find out where their weak links are and where their infinite inefficiencies So with that head-to-toe assessment, we're just checking everything they would indicate, whether if they have any movement issues at all. And then we're also doing a high-speed video analysis. And we do some pro comparisons. So I'll do a two-view uh, two um, from uh, their chest view and also from um, home plate and second base just to make sure that um, they're getting all their vectors, their butt, their glove, and their eyes going straight to through their target. But again, the, I think the big starting point, with especially anybody 13 and up, is um, just checking to make sure they have any weak links. As we know, like you're only as strong as your weakest link, and typically in baseball, uh, if you're going to break, it's going to be in your elbow and it's going to be in your shoulder. But oftentimes, it's an imbalance in our, in you know, in our legs or an imbalance in our torso, um, or especially an imbalance in our shoulder. We really want to make sure we have the strength behind the shoulder blade area as far as slowing our arm down. Uh, we really like we call working on our brakes. So your arm can only speed it up, but it can slow down. Um, and if we struggle with those backside muscles, which are a big part of those that testing process when I first get an athlete, you know, they have a tendency, um, especially not to be able to handle high workload. Um, so they're weak behind their scap area. And so we, we have a few different tests for that. And when they're getting too high in workload, now they're increasing their likelihood to have, um, you know, injury at some point. You know, sometimes it's actually not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. Right. if they're not concentrating focused on those areas right like um like i've always been told like the arm has only so many bullets and i think the biggest thing with assessing assessment is like okay how do we how do we get more ammo in the clip you know like how how do we prolong if like your arms even if you have the best mechanics some guys arms are just gonna go like it it, it happens like prevent anybody who tells you that i can prevent injuries like it it's I wouldn't trust that person because you can't because there's no form of like pre-diagnosis that is accurate like because the arm is just in the arm and the body especially in a pitcher like there's thousands of thousands of degrees of torque in like 0.2 seconds like you can't like there's no way you can prevent that so I think assess like kind of like you said is assessment is a great tool because you need like your body needs to be in the best possible like the best possible shape 
and like you can only accelerate as fast as you can break and I think that's that was I mean that was a problem for me I had um, a physical therapist tell me that like you and even you did <laughs> um, when you did like my original stat test you were like okay well um, you know the muscles like you know muscles by your scaps and your back like they're really weak like you know tricep to bicep like that's fine but everything else is like super weak and so that could be creating problems and then I mean, that was on top of already having a damaged elbow, but, you know, going, like, going to a physical therapist and I'm saying, oh, yeah, like, valgus overload is pretty typical for a pitcher, you know, like, scapular winging is pretty typical, um, you know, all these things, like, m mispositioning of, like, or misalignment of certain, like, body extremities because the throwing motion is difficult. It's difficult on the body. It's, like, it's... It's throwing something like hard is natural, but the way that baseball players do it, it's like it's not meant to be done so repetitively. Like your body just is not used to it. It's so it's a crazy. And I think yeah, doing a sentiment like that's like all a great tool for sure. Yeah. And you're right. Like every time you throw a baseball, your elbow is in a, you know you have joint separation in about an eighth of an inch in your elbow and about a quarter inch in your shoulder, and that's where that strength and that rest and recovery comes in. And you see a lot of times, especially in youth sports now, you have two kind of sides. Of it. You're right. You got the side where you're at, where it's like there's a lot of overuse. Like you had a hundred something innings in the summer when you're 14 years old, and then you also have some people that are playing safe, where their kid will pitch, and then I'm having those conversations with them. They're like, "Well, they're not thrown for a few days because the rest of they pitched." Well, kind of think the argument of that is like we don't want to overthrow. Don't get me wrong, but if the only time I ever throw is when I'm on the mound. Now I'm not preparing myself to get back in the mound. And when we're on the mound and we're throwing, it's six times ground force production. It's a breakdown period, really. So if you weigh 100 pounds, you got 600 pounds of torque going all the way through your body, through your elbow and your shoulder. And if you're not doing any preparation between the next time you pitch, and um, you're basically um, slowing down, your, you know, you're not ready for that competition. So you talk about bullets in the gun. Between starts, you want to start building up that ammo or regassing that um, vehicle, so to speak. You know, change the oil, gas it up so you have a full tank the next time you want to be up on the bump. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a really, that's a really good point, and I think that's a really underrated or overlooked part um, of throwing is is recovery. Um, I know when I, when I grew up, your recovery uh, consists of oh hey get that last gas out of there, run two poles, and it's like well, no, like that that can't be. Like, there's, there can be an argument for or against polls. Like, I personally don't believe it from the research I've read. But at the same time, like, you can't just run a couple polls and expect to be fine. Like, there is, there's a process that needs to happen where you need to be on a set, a set schedule, whether it be for a starter or a reliever. Um, you need to take your warm-up and you need to take your recovery seriously because if you don't, uh, you're going to break down. Like, I, I know that's when I follow driveline a lot, um, as you know. They talk about it like if you're not like you need to do your recovery like you can't expect to be at full at full strength if you just like skip the little things and they're boring it's boring like i i don't particularly enjoy having to you know warm up for like my body for 15 20 minutes before i start throwing but i know that if i don't do that and i just go like oh yeah here's some bands do a couple pull aparts like you know do some arm circles like it's gonna be bad like I don't need, like, it's it's going to be bad for me, and I'm just going to make things worse. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's a process. You know, it's like if we start um, 
you know, the comment I had to my dad earlier um, about a week ago was was actually kind of enlightening that um, the kid just started working with me in January, and um, our, our warm-up, um, our national pitching warm-up is a four-block warm-up. So the first block is basically, you know, core elevation, and that can vary of how you want to do that, whether it's, you know, bike, run, jump rope, jog, skip series that we have to. And then we go into arm care and recovery. Then we go into some functional straight type stuff and joint integrity, which could involve bands. Um, we have some, you know, um, some pliable arm care stuff and a lot of, I mean, there's a, a variety that can mix in there. But the, the parent goes up to me and said, yeah, we just went up the throw and we were a little bit, you know, a little bit out of time and, you know, trying to get in the cage time. And, and he kind of rushed his warm up and he said, I'm starting to think, like one, he just his pen was not nearly as good as it was when he did the full warm the last time. And he said, not only does I think it's good for his arm, but I think it's also good for him mentally to go through that process every time and to stick to that routine. So I thought that was a kind of nice insight from a parent saying, you know, not only is it good for him physically, so he's physically prepared, but it's also good for him mentally. And we saw a significant difference in performance, you know, right. in back-to-back bullpens. So I thought that was kind of neat feedback. Yeah, I mean, we talk about it all the time with major league pitchers. Like, they have a set routine. Like, uh, you know, I mean, even Justin Verlander, like, going back, like, I remember when he won the Cy, like, the Cy Young, the MVP, he was talking about how, like, three hours before his start, like, even, like, the little, like, dumb things, like, at that time, he would get, or the night before, he would get a certain meal from Taco Bell. That morning, he would wake up at a certain time, he would eat certain breakfasts, like, you get into a certain pattern, certain routine, and I think instilling that at a very young age is is really important because you're trying to, in everything, I think you're trying to replicate what the most elite do. Because you don't want to train, like, like if, if a kid has a dream about being a major leaguer, you don't want to train like, oh, hey, well, I'll train like a low-A guy that just, you know, gets drafted in the 40th round. Like, you don't... No one wants to no like no one wants to train like that. You want to be Nolan Ryan. You want to be Jacob Degrom. You want to be Max Scherzer. Like so, you have to I think replicating a routine like those guys have is like now not being obsessive. Like pitching is their job. Like that's that's what they do. Like a kid is not being paid twenty five million dollars a year, um, so it shouldn't be treated as such. But getting them into that set routine and like teaching them elite patterns is something that's super important. Yeah, and I would say too, like you know, it's too like those starting pitchers. You could make the argument a lot of those teams. They're probably the hardest one of, if not the hardest working people on those teams to maintain that routine, especially Major League Baseball to come back every fifth day. Yeah, you know, in the college, we're asking the guys to come back every six or seven days, and sometimes you know they might even get that eighth day, depending on how the schedule goes. And you know, in, in Major League Baseball, they they have to their recovery period is less. Now they're grand, grown men, more functionally stronger, can handle it. But you're right, those routines become increasingly important, not only mentally, but physically. Yeah. And so I, I guess I get, this kind of all flows in my next point. So um, after screening, like, so I, you know, I, I know you, and so you have, you create an individual plan for each, for each kid, um, depending on like what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. So like, how do you go, and especially when there's almost baseball year round, even up north, you have, you know, you have spring ball you have summer ball you have fall ball like how do you go into like load management like how does that incorporate into your individual programs well with the test we have a with the test we have a um 
kind of like an algorithm that we use uh, uh, through the national pitching stuff like that, where based on their age and all, it kind of takes a little bit of the thinking away from me because over the years of research and the thousands and thousands of kids that we have uh, tested, you know, it'll produce what their workload management should be for the week and then for the day. And one thing to be careful, especially in the summertime, is anytime you throw more than 30 pitches in the inning, every pitch after that on workload is like throwing three pitches because now you're in fatigue. Um, so that's something to be aware of as well when we talk about recovery. So yeah, you might have thrown 33 pitches, but you know that's really like 39 pitches. So you gotta make sure you have enough rest and recovery between. Um, so we our recommendations are using like Pitch Smart off of MLB, um, and we we go by that as well. But to to go back to your questions, like what do, what do we do next after we assess? That's where we're going with Aaron right now. Yeah, I apologize. I was getting off. Yeah, no, 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 you're fine. I do it all the time. Um, so we have those recommendations, but then it's like age depending, right? So um, a lot of our reps and stuff like that um, are, you know, we take two to five of this. And so the older you are, the more you're with me, those reps are going to increase. The younger you are, the baseline of those drills are going to be a lot less too. We also have to know how old they are. There's windows of trainability. And the younger they are, um, typically pre-puberty, we're really going to be focused on, muscle, uh, on patterning and movement. So basically biomechanics. And then again, that functional strength stage when they hit puberty where you can start putting muscle on, then we're really going to focus not just on warming up and the patterning and all that, but we're also going to start adding some functional strength type activities. Um, anytime they do that before then, it's basically, I wouldn't say a waste of time, but it's not, you're not going to get as much out of it as you would once your body's ready to start putting on that weight. And then when you start to get about your age or you know, in that 18, 19, 20, we really focus not just on the patterning, not just on the functional strength, but really the skill. You know, um, if we have athletes later on in their training development, then it's, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, you got to teach them how to learn, right? And that's those younger guys. Now they've got to learn. And then once we get those older guys, sometimes if those new patterning and new movements, if they're trying to learn something, it's learn how to relearn, right? And it might be relearning something that's different that's going to help them be more successful. But we have to basically unwind and unravel previous movement patterns and rewire their body in a different way neurologically yeah and i think that's really good points because so how do you how do you go about assessing that with okay like somebody my age who again pitchers pitchers are weird they each have their own like set of nuances within their delivery within their mechanics so like how do you go about like how is that adjustment made between okay like you need to be doing this, but at the same time, like you don't want to make everybody cookie cutter. Like, uh, exactly. So like, how do you go about making that adjustment? Like, how, is it like, do you ever have to like scale back on like, okay, like he needs, you know, he needs to be in these types of positions or like this may be hurting him, but at the same time, like, do you need to sometimes like scale back and say like, it's not going to, if you, too much change is not good essentially. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think exactly your point. Like I think anytime, um, that you're working with a new athlete and it also depends on what point of the season is, right? Right. So if you're coming in the middle of the season, you know, those are little tweaks. And plus you start talking about college age, like you're, you know, you're not recreating the wheel. There's a reason why you're a college athlete. There's a lot of things that you're doing right. Okay. So with a college athlete, sometimes it's, you know, mechanically um, very small tweaks and maybe the concern more is like helping them work through that um, recovery program, that prep program, the weight room, because they're just little things here and there. Maybe, like for instance, this year at, at UW style, we we used the rap soda constantly, and that just gave us little tweaks. We had a, 
And the refs has uh, major league standards as far as efficiency of where things need to be. And that was kind of our guideline. And then what we would do is utilize that feedback with what our protocols are for all of our pitch types. And we would basically show them right there in front of them what, you know, the ball come out of your hand a certain way. Or maybe if you have some head tilt on some of your pitches and this is the result of what your pitch efficiency is on your curveball versus if your eyes are level, it's much better. And it just basically demonstrated what we know. And what we do know is that if you're taking your butt, your glove, and your eyes, your target, you're going, you're going to be um, having a better spin rate, okay? Um, the faster and further that you get in the foot strike, the more momentum you create, you're going to create more spin. And we have some other things to do with that too, but that's good feedback. And again, your age too, what we've done is we do a video overlay. And I apologize that we didn't have this stuff in with you last year. That's um, But what we did is we videoed everybody from the back and we did a video overlay um, you know, on their fastball, their curveball, and changeup, and then throughout the season, just kind of checked in on that about every five or six weeks. And because um, our goal is for all of our college guys, all of our high school, elite high school guys, is to throw at least three pitches to a minimum of two locations, all from the same um, timing and arm slot. And you're right, that arm slot could be different. You know, we have some guys that are throwing right here, we have some guys throwing right here. We like to leave the throwing arm alone. And our focus is about keeping our eyes level and keeping our, getting our butt, glove, and eyes going straight to and through our target. And then we want to get as much of that energy, all that energy, hopefully 90% or higher efficiency of, of our body delivery towards home plate. Because if that's the case, if we can be 90% efficient or higher, that's going to increase our ability to throw longer and recover quicker. Yeah. And I know, uh, so you mentioned like twe- making tweaks in season. So, like, how do you. Um, I guess you talked a little bit about in college. So, like, when you're referring to, like, youth sports, so um, let's say, like, middle of summer ball season, like, how do you – because a lot of those kids, they'll – they're two-way players. They'll play the field, and then they'll pitch. Uh, You know, they're – every kid, I mean, essentially, like, if you're below 16U level, almost every kid is, like, their own Shohei Otani. Like, you're you're doing everything. So, like, how do you mid-season, like, go about um, load management when you know that uh, a child has to play the field? They have to, like, does that factor into, like, pitch count? Does that factor into um, recovery or anything like that? Absolutely. I mean, you know, in a coach, a coach has to consider all those things. It's not like we said, if you're in college, Aaron, like you were a PL for us where we, we can really manage your reps. We can manage your, your, your routines, your arm carrier. We know when you're throwing at all times, but we don't know when our right fielder's throwing. We know our catcher is going to throw a significant amount of balls back to the pitcher and probably have to throw a few balls down the second, possibly first base and then and third base as well. Um, so on, on our end, you know, we, we prefer the pitchers not catch, obviously, because of the workload. But – it happens, right? Your pitchers, your shortstops, it, you know, they're all playing those all same positions on these elite teams or, or all across the nation. So I think typically your smarter coaches are looking at that. If I'm going to use my catcher to pitch, one, I'm going to keep his volume down. I'm only going to pitch him one or two innings. And two, I'm going to maybe, if I'm at a tournament or something like that, I'm going to pitch him on the back end. Or if I'm going to, if I'm going to um, pitch him that day, I'm not going to catch, and it's a doubleheader, I'm not going to catch him the dick game before maybe I DH him or he sits that's the game he sits um so um there's all sorts of ways you can kind of get a get around that a little bit you know I'm uh, one of the one of the dads of uh, when I was a head coach in Ellsworth did something really good to try to man not only just manage the stress of his pitchers and his catchers 
but get get different pitchers in and then get them ready where they weren't tired. What he did, he started doing is he would cycle out the catcher in the um, but every two innings they had different catchers throughout the game. But the pitcher would come out the inning before he pitched to get ready. So he got ready while his team was out there. He was still able to sit down and rest and then go back out there and pitch. And not only did he feel like that worked out because they were ready to pitch and they were rested versus mm-hmm. rushing, um, but I also thought he helped them competitively too. So I thought that was an interesting concept that more youth coaches uh, should go to. Another one, I'm kind of getting sidetracked here. Uh, there's an organization down in Rochester. I was talking to their um, league president last year, and they require on all their traveling levels, they require a minimum amount of um, innings for – they have a maximum too, but they have a minimum amount of innings and a minimum amount of appearances for all their pitchers throughout the year. So basically, this I think this is their fourth or fifth year, but he was – force them to pitch them off, but now the skill level all these guys are getting to be better throwers too. So not only does it help on the mound, but they're a better throw from left field and second base. Um, right. Which we, t- we we find that out quite a bit. When you're always pitching the same guys, they get better and better. Right. Um, so I guess, so we talk about load management during the summer. So like how, now how do you um, adjust for, because uh, I mean a lot of kids when they're younger, they're good athletes. So they play um, you know, two to three different sports. Um, I know when I was growing up, I mean, once I got to a certain age, my mom was like, Hey, I can't drive you to four different sport practices. You need to pick one. Um, but a lot of kids play multiple sports. So like, how does that now factor into, um, like load management and like, especially in the youth, because, okay, it's baseball season and then maybe it's basketball season and then football season and then baseball season. So like, how does that, how does that factor in? And then how do you keep kids, uh, their arms and their bodies like in shape for that? Well, that's a great question. And really it's, it's a moving target. I mean, the way you ask the question, you already know that it's, it's, it's a moving target because they can have, um, especially if they're a 16 year old, a lot of times in this area, they're playing basketball leagues once or twice a week. Uh, what I would do is encourage them to, um, you know, balance that out, but also that's a day you're probably not going to play baseball so that you can get some recovery from NASPOR as well, because that's going to be taxing on your legs and taxing on your body. And obviously you need to have your legs when you're pitching and stuff like that too. The other thing too is the coaches, when they're coming in an academy-based setting in the summer, um, I do know that they have all that stuff going on. When I have them fill out a survey, that's part of the stat test. What sports do you play? How many do you play in the last six months? We also want to know how much they've grown, because I think that changes how we, you know, how much weight they gain, how much they've grown. That also how we treat them neurologically, um, because right. if they're, if they're gaining a lot of weight or, or they're growing, then that's going to set them back a little bit. Um, but what, like we talked about earlier with joint separation with doing throws, sometimes if they have a lot of workload outside of our control in our academy setting, then what we'll do is we'll just do a lot more holds or a lot more recovery type stuff and scale things back to try to minimize that. Because ideally, we can only control what we can control. And if we can't control how many pitches the guy has a weekend, we can try to collaborate um, with the coach, uh, with the family, get everybody on the same page. But at the end of the day, if they're playing in a tournament down in Illinois on the weekends and they come back up and they work out with me a couple times during the week, that first day is probably going to be a lot of recovery type stuff, yeah. you know, um, and, and some, some low-key rest and recovery, uh, functional strength, body work, and trying to build that up throughout the week. And again, put fill up the gas tank before their next competition. So the first question I always ask is, 
uh, when's the last when's the last time you pitched? When's the last time you threw? When's the next time you're going to be on the mound? And if it's the first time I saw them, obviously we're going to want to know what teams they play on, what their schedule like, all that. But right. even if I've already seen them before, I need to ask them those three questions when they come to the door because that can completely change the plans we have in place. Right. And so, like, do you do you ever like if a kid comes in, it's like, oh, I've been doing this, I've been doing this. Do you ever just straight up just shut someone down, or like, how do you how do you go about that? Because I know, um, again, I've had plenty of arm injuries, I've had plenty of arm issues um, going back to when I was. 12 so um and my pts would always say oh well you need to be shut down for this amount of time so uh how do you how do you go about shut like shutting someone down like how do you handle that situation like is it is it <laughs> uh, as kids like you don't want to be told you can't do something uh especially when it's sport related and it's frustrating like even now like I, uh, after my surgery, I got shut down for another four weeks because the nerve didn't fully heal and it got re, uh, re-aggravated after he, um, you know, after he decompressed it. And so I had to be shut down. And even though I'm not a college baseball player anymore, like it, it sucks because it prevents you from doing what you want to do. Um, so how do you, how do you go about that process? And do you still, um, like are this still like still like re- active like recovery and like warm up still in place or is it just like complete shutdown? Well, first of all, like you know, when when I'm doing any of these kind of consulting, which is, hasn't happened a ton, um, just because of the proactive measures, but it happens. Yeah, it after happens. So what I like to do is collaborate, obviously, with the medical field. If um, if it's something that I think is severe, um, then I will recommend that they go see. Um, you know, go, go, go get an appointment. And there's some people in the area that I'm starting to get a little bit of experience with where there's some trust and I recommend that. Also, um, if before maybe making a complete recommendation, I'll talk to, um, one of, one of our national pitching, uh, regional directors is also a physical therapist. And, um, he's done a lot of research actually too, um, in the last five, 10 years, just with movements and stuff like that and the pitching analysis. So he's a really good resource that I will reach out to if I have any questions of how I want to direct that family and work with that kid. But the bottom line, if they're in with me and if they can do something that's not hurting, I'm okay with that. So the rule is if it hurts, don't do it. But at the same time, there's certain injuries that we're just, you know, hey, we're not going to do anything. Like if we think it's the UCL or something like that, or it's uh, maybe a potential rotator cuff problem, and there's certain movements in our, in our warm-up or whatever of lifting our shoulder, um, that they just physically can't do, then yeah, I'm probably not going to work with that kid until we get some medical um, advice. If it seems like it's just like a normal fatigue, um, you know, that could come with pitching, just some normal soreness, they haven't had any medical history, then we might start them out with a warm-up and walk it through in the whole time, like, how's this feel? How's this feel? How's this feel? And they're all going to be low-impact stuff because, like, like I would say, let's just dip our toe in the water. Or when we talk about our warm up, each day is our warm up. I like to talk to the kids. It's like uh, if we talk about level, it's a, it's a, it's one floor of stairs, and we're gonna hit every step on the way up to that floor. And then once we start increasing that intensity in the next drill, then we're gonna go up. And then if we get to a point where that's what we're good at, we can't increase intensity anymore, and we have no pain, then we'll probably stay at that. Um, but it's the biggest thing I think when a kid is um, sore is two things. The difference between stiff and sore and hurt. So stiff and sore is if I'm going to do my warm-up, that soreness goes away, you were just stiff that day. But if that soreness is still there, I'm going to ask the kid, can you rate that soreness on 1 through 10? Based on how he's rating that, that's where we're going to go from there. And that could be a complete shutdown. 
that could be just us doing maybe um, some patterning for the day and not throwing to a target, not doing any releases, or maybe specifically because we know there's a movement that's contributing to that. Because any any shoulder, any pain on the inside is typically a mechanical fix. Anything on the backside is functional strength related, and that's going to kind of direct us to where we need to go. Um, and then of course, if, um, if if they just physically can't do anything because it's uh, it's pain, then I'm going to say, okay, maybe it's not soreness. It's pain, it's sharp, we're asking questions, and maybe it's acute, then of course it's a complete shutdown. So there's a lot of dialogue is what I'm trying to say before we make those determinations. Yeah, of course. And so uh, I guess another question I would have based off of that is if you have, you know, a kid and, you know, if you have a kid in your program and so he sticks to, you know, the individual throwing program, um, the, like the guidelines throughout summer ball, um, fall ball and things like that. Do you say like, do you ever say like, Hey, like for this amount of time after your season, like you're done, like you need to shut down. Or is it just like, as long as you're managing it properly, is it just still like, you know, you can still like continue light throw or things like that. Or do you just shut it down at all? Um, well, basically we go by ASMI and pitch smart regulations about how many and how many pitches they can throw per week and then throughout the season. And those are listed on their website. So not only are we monitoring their rest between starts, but we're all monitoring it overall through the season. Uh, we, we do believe that there's levels of intensity of dialing back on, on as far as throwing. I think you can throw the ball year-round. You just can't pitch year-round. Right. So, you know, and then, of course, based off your age, and, you know, and how much rest time and your workload – that's where we really individualize how we shut a player down from the mound, so to speak, but not necessarily sit sit down and not do anything. I think one of the best examples that I can come up with is, would you ever ask a marathon runner, you know, who's trained for nine months out of the year for marathons, and then for three months they're going to shut down and they're not going to they're not going to run? I mean, if you go to if you you know, my wife she ran a half the she ran up at uh, Grandma's uh, marathon out there in Duluth, Minnesota about six, seven years ago, and, you know, they ran their, their either their half or full marathon, and you saw a bunch of those people eventually after they kind of, you know, got got it taken care of. There were some people running after that and doing a cool down. On the same day, they did a half marathon. So I'm not saying that once our guys get off the bump, they need to go back on the mound, but I think movement and, and, and recovery, like we talked about, the routines are so important between starts and so important in the off season that they can't just sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Um, so those are very individualized questions based off their age level too, as well. And like you said earlier about balance in other sports, you know, how much is too much compared to those other sports throughout the year. So I do a lot of consulting with families based on if their kids in wrestling or basketball or whatever to try to um, help them through the process. Right. Um, so are, like, are there any like are there any like major important things that that you find um, when coaching youth athletes that are, are really good tips or are um, things that you really adhere to to protect the health of players, like are, is like anything that like you can think of where you want to kind of like hammer hone in on. You know, as far as like um, parents and communication with coaches, I think it's just really important that they the coaches know what their schedule is so they can work around that, um, and that that does include other sports as well. You know, if the kid is hustling um, from uh, maybe a youth wrestling tournament to come up for a pitching lesson or event or throw. Um, he's not going to have his legs like somebody who's coming in fresh, and so yeah, he might not he might not have pitched since uh, five days ago, and according to ASMI and pitch smart regulations, he's totally fine. But 
that's those regulations are based strictly just on pitching. So I think coaches need to know what their those kids' schedules are, and parents have to kind of protect that a little bit and be smart because a lot of times, you know, less is more. You know, and, and we, you know, parents want to provide opportunities for kids and help create structure, and that's awesome. Um, but they should also communicate that with their coaches so they know what's going on and they can plan accordingly. Um, you know, coaches obviously on that end they need to be aware if a kid's in another league, um, because um, I don't think a kid should be, um, you know, pitching competitively in two leagues, because um, one coach is going to look at the workload in one. Uh, from their team and the other coaches probably going to their team. So that's where it's important for if that were to happen, not that I recommend it, but it does happen. The parents really have to be ultra aggressive with the, with communication and collaboration with both coaches if they're playing for two teams at the same time, um, you know, competitively. Right. I mean, one story like Josh Beckett, I don't know if you heard this. I read an article a few years ago like Josh Beckett, who, who was a really good pitcher, major league baseball for a long time. In the summer, he just played outfield. He didn't pitch at all in the summer, so that you know it's not that he didn't throw a ball, but he didn't throw off the mound all summer long. And um, so I think as a parent, sometimes you have to look at it like that. I have one parent um, where the kid's a pretty elite, elite player, and our conversation was, you know, I don't think it was if we were talking about fall ball and stuff. I'm like, I think it's okay that he plays fall ball, but I don't think he should pitch. And that was based upon his workload from spring and summer, and that's what the the, the parent ended up doing to protect the kid's arm. Yeah. I mean, do you, so I guess a follow-up question that'd be, how much do you trust, you know, a kids, because it's, because it's difficult because you're not, you're not in their shoes, you're not in their body, like feeling that amount of pain or feeling that tiredness. So like how much do you trust, you know, a child's opinion of their own pain or a parent's opinion of their workload? Like how much do you like trust that? And like, is there sort of a balance that needs to be struck between like, what what you know and what you think would be best and then like what are they feeling and like you know well that's a really good question so basically i think it's important to go with just the stats in general um, the research is out there with the pitch counts like that's a really good baseline uh, but some kids are going to recover quicker than other kids and those those, those uh rest and recovery limits aren't going to necessarily fit that kid right some right. kids are just going to recover better um, because they have more functional strength or maybe their movement pattern is much more efficient biomechanically. So with every throw, it's going to be less taxing on the arm than somebody that might be moving efficiently. Um, so the bottom line for me as a coach, I think one of the most important things for all coaches is to watch their kids playing catch. Because when you watch your kids playing catch, you know how their arm moves, you know how their body moves. And then usually what happens when a guy starts getting tired is they resort back to basically their flaws mechanically. So those, as their legs go, um, let's say there's a it's, a it's a player that struggles with head tilt at release. He might be fine, and then as the game goes on, his legs start to wear, and you start to see more head tilt with his with his pitch. Well, that's when I know as a coach it's important me for to send the catcher out, get the guy in the pen rolling, walk out to the mound, and I think um, it's it might be a little bit um, overkill on my part sometimes, but and you might remember this, Aaron, but when I ask a pitcher how they're feeling, like I demand eye contact, and when they look away from me and say, hey, how's your arm? And they say good, but they look away from me, I automatically think they're lying, all right? And they might not be lying, you know, but the case is, like, I'm not going to take their word for it at that point. Right. Um, as far as parents and believing the parents, you know, if I know the kid really well, because he's my kid, I don't think I need to rely on the parents, but when I can't see the kid pitch, when I can't see... 
um, and they're just coming in. I'm, I'm just, everything's blind. The only thing I can go by is the information they're giving me and what I can see. So there has to be a little bit of blind trust sometimes to the parents of what the kids' workload is and how I work with them. But I have to assess throughout that lesson or throughout that session and keep a close eye on them, um, especially if we're looking at a kid that maybe has some issues already. Right. Um, and so I guess, I mean, I've exhausted like kind of my list of questions regarding youth baseball. So like how, I guess, going into the situation where I'm now with COVID-19 and uh, the season's being canceled. So now how do you, as a coach of a college, now how do you adjust the program? Because you guys would have been, I mean, what, a week and a half ago, you guys would have been in Florida, right? So how do you now adjust the program to all right, uh, do you go back into, like, full, like, velocity build mode? Do you go back into, like, where's now, like, where's that direction going right now for your athletes? Yeah, so, like, I guess if I would, like, classify, like, what month we're in right now, I'd probably, like, backdate it to probably, like, as far as, probably, like, late January, early February with our workload, where we're, we're kind of in an in-season, off-season program right now, because we don't know when, we don't want to dial all the way back to an off-season program because we don't know when that start date is. Um, but we don't want to, um, you know, be on the mound throwing high volumes of pitches and not knowing if we're not going to pitch in July where maybe we can dial back a little bit and focus more on performance and increasing, like you said, that velocity. So um, we're still doing um, some of both. And, and it really depends on the kid because every kid's homebound, right? Yeah. So not every kid has bands. Not every kid has um, a backstop to throw into. Not every kid has access to a mound. One of my... Well, my players texted me yesterday that their hometown um, locked all the gates and all that, all their baseball fields, and no longer is able to throw a mound work. So instead of getting on the mound, he's just going to throw more flat grounds because that's what he has. Right. Doesn't have doesn't have a mound. So I think at, at this stage, it's really about adapting to what's going on. I've been providing a lot of support with people um, of customizing what they can do based around what they currently have. Yeah. And just to be ready when they need to be ready, which nobody knows right now. Right. I mean, especially with, like, summer ball season, like we talked about earlier, like, we don't know when that's going to start, and so it's, like you said, it's, like, finding that balance between, like, okay, like, it may start, you know, summer, if guys play summer ball, like, you may have to be ready in six weeks to throw, but uh, you also may not have to, so, like you said, dipping your toe in the water a little bit, okay, like, be kind of ready so that you can on-ramp kind of quicker, but at the same time, not throwing that high uh high volume just because you're not you're not in season like you shouldn't treat it like in season i think that's something that i struggle with um a little bit like i would when i knew i wasn't gonna be throwing i took that opportunity i was like oh well then i can just you know i can just throw a higher volume or like more intensity because like oh i can have time to recover anyway instead of managing it and maybe saving some of that energy and focusing more on recovery and more on strength because I had more time and so now instead of breaking down and using more of those bullets I'm actually like putting more in the clip essentially or putting more gas in the car not running on a quarter tank or things like that yeah well and I also think like now now too like for these guys like really focusing on um, you know there definitely can be some strength development right now some, some functional strength with small muscle movement some in the weight room uh, a, a balance like that's definitely something that can and should be going on right now to go with whatever those adjusted workloads are throwing arm care recovery um type stuff that we're talking about um on the baseball end but definitely um a lot of encouragement so we have our guys that right now 
if the problem is nobody has access to a weight room. Right. Um, there's probably half the pitchers who have access to something, whether it's, you know, um, dumbbells at the house or, you know, maybe something made up. Uh, one, of, one of the pitchers I have has this uh, workout room in their garage from back when they were in high school um, that just, you know, has, has a few things. And whatever you can do, they do. Right now they're doing about, you know, one day, um, you know, at, at Menominee we have ETS that works with our student athletes across the board. And ETS does a great job of um, developing individualized workouts for, for all of the sports there at UW-Stout. So these kids are pretty educated on what they need to do strength training-wise. Um, but now it's about, okay, well, how can you adapt it to your current environment? So they've been working pretty hard on that. I've been trying to coach them through it the best I can. But it is what it is right now, and, um, and they're just doing what they can. Right. I mean, because I know, I know there's um, there's a couple of programs that I found that are just like in home workouts and one adjusts for if you have like even three pound dumbbells, one adjusts for that, and others like oh strictly body weight, you know, doing one like split squats on a couch, like things like that where it's like you, it's nowhere near what you'd want. It's nowhere near ideal, um, especially like for a guy that was doing you know 135 pounds on a split squat now he's just doing you know body weight on a couch it's like not it's not ideal but at least maintaining something because yeah it's, it's just a time of uncertainty and then maybe like right now like if we knew let's say let's say we knew that they're going to start up in june it would be a really good time to work on muscular endurance and stuff like that and then transition that in you know let's say they can increase their reps because they don't have heavy weight um, but like you said, we just we just don't know now, so you're just adapting. I have this great book that's like 15 minute workouts you can do at home, and that's you know people can go on Amazon right now or whatever, and they can just try to find something that you know to be creative or look at YouTube videos and just keep their body moving, and not just keep their body moving. I think it also keeps us mentally sharp too. Yeah, you know, and and I think that's important. Yeah, it keeps you in that routine. I mean, like we talk about routine, routine, routine. You know, you got to be consistent, and so like especially for athletes like you're lifting you know you're lifting four times a week you're doing all this stuff you're doing all this throwing then all of a sudden you know your season's gone uh and you don't have access for a lot of guys don't have access to weight rooms so now uh even for me who wasn't at the college level like my routine is gone so because you know there's no time in between classes where i can go lift and there's no gym <laughs> to be open uh anyway so it's it's keeping that routine, keeping that consistency because through everything, I think, um, like you've talked about, if you can, if you can maintain some consistency, like you can, you can power through, it's not going to be ideal. You might not be in the shape that you were when everything went down and this whole thing started, but it's, it's better than nothing. Like we're at a point right now where anything, like anything is better than nothing. And like maintaining consistency is better than nothing. I mean, especially because, you know, like mentally, like this is exhausting for a lot of kids. Like you throw, it's, I mean, especially at the college, it's like, you're completely thrown off. Uh, like we went, I didn't think three weeks ago that like college was going to be shut down, that I'd be in my house every hour of every day that I wouldn't be able to go work out. And so now it's like, it's, and again, baseball is nowhere in the time of a global pandemic, baseball is nowhere near the top of importance. <laughs> um, it's nowhere near the top of the totem pole, but you know, just for each individual's life, like everything's thrown off. And so it's now it's maintaining like, okay, like what can I do to maintain some semblance of what I had before I was forced to stay home <laughs> essentially. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just, I was just, like, for my own mental health on Monday, you know, just a meeting after meeting after meeting, and I could just tell by 2 o'clock that all I had to do, I just had to go downstairs. And unfortunately, my wife and I have a workout area downstairs, so I'll spend a lot of time on my treadmill. I have a, a sock screen that I'll throw into. Uh, I have some tools that I'll use, too. I just recently bought a, what's called a, a it's a focus band. You, it's basically a headband. Um, that you wear in your head and it tells you when your brain's ready to compete, it connects to an app. So I'm really excited about bringing that not only to uh, my training, but uh, next year at UW Stout. It's just kind of like a fun little tool. And I noticed how important breathing is. We had um, MindStrong came in um, this year and helped us out. They're a really good organization uh, with some breathing techniques. And, um, you know, I was just trying to use some of those breathing techniques and you could just kind of see how that developed and how that um, came about on the... Um, right there on that app and you just see your brain turn from green to or from red to green by following those breathing techniques and really emphasize how important breathing is uh not just for sports but for our mental health yeah. and how much better i felt um when the app was showing me but anyway so we're lucky we have that sub downstairs i do bands i do um all all sorts of arm care activity down there so it's a, it's been it's been kind of a, an outlet for me like you said we're we're stuck here um, so it's nice that I have that area, but not everybody does. Like you said, they have to use their living room. Yeah. I mean, is I'm, that what you do? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of at that right now. I mean, there's, there's like the cages in Menominee where, yeah. um, they're kind of open. So I might start going down there because I was, I would have been at that point where I was clear to throw again. So I might just like, you know, start ramping up again and just lightly throwing, just not knowing when the season's going to happen. Cause I want to at least, I want to at least be ready to throw from the infield, maybe not from the mound immediately, but like make throws from the infield and from the outfield at that point. So I might be doing that, but you know, and again, I'm not a collegiate athlete anymore. Uh, so I don't really, I don't really care about as much about like maintaining like, Oh, well, if I go for a long run, it's going to be more detrimental. Like for me, like, I don't care. I just want to feel good. So I've been going for, um, you know, my wife and I have been going for walks. Um, we'll actually have a dog now. Uh, so we'll taking him for walks. You know, I've been running around my neighborhood, uh, come back and bike just to get up, like, just to get like a good sweat going and just like feel active. Like yeah. before, if I was an athlete, like I wouldn't be doing that at all. I'd just be doing like pushups and pull-ups on my pull-up bar just because like, I don't want to like, I want to maintain strength, like, I don't want to necessarily, like, constantly, like, run, long distance run every time, because that's not, you know, what my body would need, um, to stay kind of in that baseball shape a little bit, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just kind of, just doing my thing, I don't know, it's yeah. like, it is what it is, you gotta do what you gotta do, it sucks, because, you know, I would love to, I mean, shoot, what day it is, Friday, April 3rd, I mean, our season was supposed to start in, like, I think six days, something like that, so, it's, it sucks. Like, I'm not gonna lie. Like, I would love to be, and I was feeling really good, too. Like, after I got the surgery, you know, like, I could extend my arm, uh, and, like, bend it fully, and it was like, wow, there's, like, there's no, like, massive, like, imp like, there's no, there's no bone spur anymore. Like, I can actually, like, yeah. do this. I'm not, like, I don't feel like my bone is grinding up against something every time I throw. So it was, it was incredible. Like, my arm had full range of motion for the first time since I think I was, like, a junior, junior or a sophomore in high school. Uh, wow. when I first started to feel it so it was it was like that first four weeks even though the nerve got uh, irritated a little bit afterwards um was incredible because it was like you know my arm could get into layback really well um you know especially like just like throwing just like a fastball like my arm would um I realized that uh 
as ironic as it is, like when a bone spur, like it would really prevent like uh, full extension. But when I got it removed, my arm felt better to the point where like I didn't need to get full extension. So like I realized like in my throwing, like wow, my arm circle just feels a lot smaller. And I realized like I'm coming, I'm like my arm path is way more efficient now because now my elbow can like move upwards when it needs to. Like there's nothing blocking it from like getting into that, you know, getting into that really like good position where it's like it has freedom to move. So it's been, it's been interesting. Um, you know, I really, that's a, yeah. Sorry about that. That's, that's a really good example of how you're only as strong as, you know, you're only as efficient as your worst movement. You're only as strong as your weakest link. And like you're talking about how your body's adapting to avoid pain that you previously had. You're like, whoa, wait a second. Now look what I can do because now your body's not avoiding that pain. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like I've had people um, who, you know, they had like some growing issues or they had some knee issues and I was really concerned about it. You know, and unfortunately, sometimes mom or dad doesn't get concerned about it until they start hurting the arm. Like, oh, their arm's fine. Yes, but we're only strong as our, you know, our weakest link and we're only as efficient as our worst movement. So we need to treat the whole body here. If we treat the whole body, you know, we, then we're going to increase our likelihood of staying healthy here. Yeah. We're just, and like, yeah, it's increase our likelihood. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to fill up the gas tank every time before we throw by putting more in our body, more in our arm, um, and preparing it. Uh, for that the best that we can yeah for sure um all right we're at let's see what time are we at oh shoot we went well we went way beyond what i thought we would but um that's good i'm, I'm glad we had you know we had a lot of good conversations we had a lot of good uh talking points but um you know unless there's anything that like you kind of want to finish on um i think um i can't think of anything i'd like to ask which it's usually not the case but um yeah i don't know um I really appreciate you coming on. I know I've wanted to have you on for a while. Uh, you know, I appreciate, you know, things that you'd help me with. Um, even in the small time that we had together at Stout, uh, you know, I, I know that from talking with guys like Palmer and Jace, like that, you you know, these individual programs are really helping and, you know, doing, having a longer warm-up process than six minutes uh, <laughs> really helps too. And just like having like a set routine and individual program. Um, so I know you're helping them out a lot and I know they appreciate it. And as someone who likes to, you know, see other people uh, succeed and do really well, I appreciate it because I like hearing um, like when, people tell me like oh palmer's like nasty right now like i enjoy hearing that because like that's dope like that's like i i like hearing when guys are really good it, like it makes me feel good because it's like they're succeeding and that's awesome so i i appreciate the work that you did with me i appreciate um the work that you're doing uh you did with them to prepare for the season that you're doing right now um rap soto definitely uh also for anyone that doesn't know rap soto is a was is it like a camera system like i I see it as a box and I just like think of it as a box that like is a magic box that tells you all these things. But like, so it's essentially like, it's, it's a camera system, correct? Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically a camera slash sensor type system and it will, um, you know, capture the movement of the baseball and it has a lot of uh, metrics that way. One of the advancements that it made, um, since last season that's been very helpful is it will tell you where you're releasing the ball. And so it, so it's another one of those tools that we talked about earlier with the video overlay with our with our motion analysis system, um, which is important and you know getting getting back you know getting that feedback back to the kids so they can see their movements. But they also see um, they get about a nine or ten page printout um, of their rap soda report and it'll tell them 
how far away from the middle of the rubber and how far up off the mound they're releasing all their pitches. So we'll know exactly if they're releasing their pitches all from the same angle. And like I said, some of our guys are, you know, about 0.1, 0.2 away on all their pitches from being in the same spot. Some of our guys are in the exact same spot. And that's why when we do our drill work, we always do it with all of our pitches to wire our body to throw um, effectively yeah. and efficiently from those positions. Because like you see a lot of times with guys are just training one pitch and then you go to the other pitch that maybe haven't trained as much, they might go back to those old movement patterns. So um, the Rapsodal gives us a lot of feedback, you know. And um, guys that pass their functional strength screening, we also have some spin rate drills that we do too that um that help with that um, unfortunately in year one right now we didn't we didn't get to that process um yeah. so um and when i say year one, i should say year two but really year one with using the wrap so last year we had we struck out a couple times when we tried using it um and but uh next year um the goal is to try to even amp that up a little bit more if we get some more guys that can pass all those functional strength backside testing um, and improving our spin rate and then obviously that will improve our uh, pitching arsenal as well yeah i mean the spin rate, spin efficiency. So I mean, I guess. Well, now exactly. I just thought. And now I just thought of another question. So how do you, um, how do you go about? So again, each pitcher is individual, and each pit, pitcher has a certain movement pro- profile with each pitch. You know, some guys throw a curveball, but it's really like more of a slurve or a slider. And then, so how do you, um, for guys that like cut their fastball, and then they have, they also have like sliders, they have curveballs. Like how do you, um, how do you go about making that adjustment where it's like, okay, well this guy cuts his fastball and you know his fastball isn't very efficient you know it's not getting that good rise or whatever or if it's sinking a lot like how does that factor into other pitches because if a guy is a sinker you know the tip like oh sinker slider like it's that typical mantra where it's like oh if you have a good sinker into righties and then you have that slider going down uh going down away from a righty or into a lefty um you know, like, how do you build those pitches off one another? Like, how do you make that adjustment? Like, if a guy has a cutting fastball, do you automatically say, like, oh, let's stop cutting it? Or do you say, well, now I got to think about how does that work into his pitch mix? Is that cut good? Uh, like, with Mar, <laughs> okay, a, a, I guess a far out example would be like Mariano Rivera. Like, obviously, you do not want you want him to cut that ball like he, that is one of the single greatest pitches in major league baseball history like you don't like i don't even like we don't know the numbers on that pitch but like you don't want to change that at all so like how do you go about making those adjustments well first of all one of my approaches that i think i've found success in over the years is i really want to evaluate first which you asked me a lot about and that's where i want when i'm going to help a pitcher out i want to have evidence and that's why we're using all these tools. It's not just feedback, but it's a building block of having a conversation with the pitcher and what we're going to do and how we're going to have that process. Um, it, and it's really tough for an athlete to argue with that. And not that they ever argue with that, but they're, they're not pitching in college because they suck. They're pitching in college because they've had success. And for them to buy into something, they really have to have feedback. They can't be going anything blindly. So I think that's really important. So what I like to do is film all the pictures. I like to have all four angles. And then um, we do a four view look at that. We'll also do a video overlay, which is just, we'll go everything at the fastball. So if they throw a fastball, curveball, changeup, then I'll have the curveball overlaid on the fastball, and then the changeup overlaid on the fastball. And we'll have that video and that feedback for them. And of course, we also have that information on the wrap soto. Um, we're going to use the wraps a lot more in fall ball next year, um, so we'll have a little more feedback on that. This year we relied mostly on the, 
on the motion um, video video analysis um, to, to give us that feedback. But from there, what we do is we look at, because of course our goal, like I said, is to have three pitches from the, from the exact same release point, from the exact same timing, hopefully going to two or more locations. If we can do that, you can throw 78, 88, or 98, you're going to be successful at our level. So now the next point is now releasing that same level, we want to have the ball 8 to 12 feet coming out of our hand in that same spot. And then like I like to compare it to like a shotgun, they can blast off in different directions. Mm -hmm. So then we can kind of create an arsenal. And as long as a pitcher comes in throwing everything correctly and they have and they pass their functional strength test, their screen test, there's not a whole lot we can avoid. Uh, the cutter is definitely an effective pitch, but it's also a man's pitch. So we got to make sure that, that 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 kid's functionally strong. But we can use those pitches off of each other. So like for instance, this year we did a um, Google form feedback with a lot of guys. Uh, We'll say, hey, what is your best pitch sequence against righties? What is your best pitch sequence against lefties? And I sent that to them just to get them starting to think of that. And then I went around and I had conversations with them of why they thought that way. And we tried to build their arsenal for that. Like a lot of our guys that throw down here, you know, there's certain ways that they're going to be a little bit more successful against a lefty versus a righty. Um, and that's utilizing that pitching tunnel. So that, like you said, you know, and then we're also utilizing our effective velocity and our perceived velocity. You know, a fastball right down the middle or on the outside corner versus the inside corner, and where a hitter needs to make timing on those pitches to be on time are different, and that affects the, um, um, the perceived velocity. So what's happening on the previous pitch to the next pitch is very important when it comes to not just coming out of the hand, but also miles per hour and effective velocity. Um, so we try to work through that the best we can. But obviously, when we're trying to throw a glove side fastball, sometimes we hit arm side. Yeah. And then we have that. Now that sequence might change a little bit. And you know, so we use that um, terminology with the guys. Like, hey, use that. You know, instead of getting frustrated, you still got a strike maybe out of it, or maybe you try to go away and then you ran one inside on the guy. Okay, now use that pitch and go on to the next pitch, right? So yeah. what, so to speak, as Coach Bay would say. So yeah. what? Let's go on to the next pitch. So. Um, as far as building our arsenal, we like to keep those things in mind, and I really like to individualize it to the pitcher, because you, you know when it comes to uh, you know as long as they're doing things the way we want to health-wise, then we go from there. If they're releasing their pitch like a curveball incorrectly health-wise, then we got to stop and we got to change because then they're not going to be pitching very long because eventually they're going to break down. Um, so, but again, health first, have evidence to show build from there that's really how we go and I think it also builds a relationship because I'm, it shows that I'm working with the pitcher yeah and this is a process together and not just a me versus him thing right and I I, I mainly asked that too because uh, when my first experience with Rapsodo was actually my freshman year of college uh, it was brief it was for like 15 minutes uh, our coach essentially was like hey we're bringing this in it's gonna show us all these cool stuff and I was like all this cool stuff and I was like all right, cool. And then I threw my pen with it. And then I went to ask like, okay, like, what is my data? It was like, oh, I don't know. It's like, well, like I wasn't, well, see, it, I was told, but it wasn't a sure answer. And I wasn't the priority. Who was the priority was the guys that were going to be used more often. So I went to ask for my data. He was like, oh, it was like, you know, your fastball had like lower spin. Like, I don't know. It was like around eight, like 1850, maybe. And so I took that as like, oh, well, my fastball spin is 1850. That's really low. But I wasn't told anything else. And so even going into this past offseason at Stout, like, that's the only time I had ever experienced anything with a Rapsodo. Like, that's the only time I knew my data at all. 
So I went in, I was like, okay, well, if we're going to base it off that, then that means that, like, I don't know what my spin efficiency is, um, but I've typically been told that I get good sync on my, uh, my fastball, so maybe I should shy, maybe that's why guys have, tend to lay off my curveball, because uh, it's coming out of the hand, There, it's a much different look, like, you can see it easier. And then, so I started building towards the slider, the slider was okay, I just couldn't locate it as well, but then... You know, uh, I realized I wasn't getting the results on it, so I was like, "Wait, okay." So let me ask guys when they're hitting off me, like, what do they see? And so I would, and then I would go up to, I go up to a couple guys, like, "What are you seeing on my fastball? Is it like, is it sinking? Uh, is it staying up? Does it have ride or like what? Like what is it?" And they're like, "Oh, well, your fastball tends to stay up a lot." So that told me I was like, "Okay, either the 1850, you know, RPM was wrong, or I have really good efficiency, so that ball is." maintaining its true flight forward and it's not sinking as much so then so it was this whole process where i was like i didn't and like especially with someone who i am a perfectionist as i think you know in my, the, your brief time with me and i like to tinker and so if i don't have all the information like i need i will tend to make adjustments that may not need to be made and then i end up wasting time like did i really need a slider last year like it was good. It was definitely good in some instances, and it got me some Ks, but at the same time, like, I also, growing up, I had a really good curveball, and so maybe should I have built off that now knowing, and I should have adjusted my pitch mix now knowing that, okay, my like, my fastball can stay up a little bit more, maybe I should just aim it right below the letters a lot, and then utilize it lower in the zone every so often, just throw guys off. So it's, it's this whole this whole process um again which is why i uh, definitely i appreciate the individuality um the approach that you're taking is it's 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 different for everybody uh it's you can't just look at a number and say like oh here's this now you have to do this um there's just so there's so many factors there's like a billion factors and like when uh, honestly like when couch coaches look at the tv and like oh well why don't you just place this fastball there or why don't you do this it's it's frustrating for me when i hear that and when i um or when i used to say that because um, i used to be someone like that because oh it's just so easy um it's frustrating because it's not <laughs> so many things have to go right to get the ball exactly where you want it to go and even then major league pitchers miss on, miss on average what is it like six to twelve inches on every pitch like even the most high-level elite guys, like somebody like Kyle Hendricks, who is like the you know the Greg Maddox of our generation, basically, uh, he misses. Like it, it, it happens. And so, like, how do you utilize those misses? And that's, and that's a whole topic for another day. I think we're we're coming up to yeah, we're just above an hour. But um, anyway, to wrap up, uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on. Um, I really enjoyed having you. I thought we had a lot of really good conversations. Um, you know, it was. I think this will be this will be really informative, and you know, I'd love to have you on again if you're willing. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to come back. I appreciate the platform and the communications. It's always fun to talk baseball with you. And and um, you know, if anybody wants to uh, reach out to me or anything like that, um, they can feel free to do that. It's uh, um, my Instagram and my Twitter is Coach C. Um, baseball, Coach C Baseball, both of those, and then Coach C at PrecisionPitching.net is my um, my email account. So feel free to do that. All right, sounds good. Um, 
yeah, thank you guys all for uh, tuning in. Um, this was the sixth episode of the Curious Space Hole podcast. Um, big shout out to uh, Coach Grinson for coming on. Um, really appreciate all the work he does and all the work he did um, for me and the U Doing Style Baseball program and all the students. Um, yeah, I'm not sure when we'll have the next one up, but I think Trevor will be back with us, and I think we'll be raiding uh, baseball stadium food. So, uh, yeah, I can't wait, and uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Put them bright lights on, this is my moment. Put them bright lights on. Let's go. Put them bright lights on, I shine on. Put them bright lights on. Put them bright lights on, this is my moment. Do it one time for the squad. Uh huh, uh huh.